listening to Inner Warm Up. I'm your host, Taylor Lise Morrison, founder and author of Inner Workout, ICF certified coach, and fellow journeyer. In 2017, I set out to build a life that didn't burn me out, and I found my life's work in the process. On Inner Warm Up, we talk about how self care and inner work show up in your relationships, your career, your schedule, and in the conversations you have with yourself. We get practical, we get nuanced, and we're not afraid to challenge wellness as usual. So take a deep breath and get curious. This is where your inner work begins. Today's guest is Jessica Wilson. Jessica is a clinical dietitian, consultant, and author of It's Always Been Ours, rewriting the story of Black women's bodies. Her experiences navigating the dietetic field as a Black queer dietitian have been featured on ABC primetime news, public radio shows, and in print media. Jessica has worked as a trauma-informed clinical dietitian since 2007 and believes that her clients' lived experiences can be more important to their care than what is considered to be, quote-unquote, best practice. Y'all, this conversation is as useful as it is thought-provoking. Jessica shares why she continues to bear this title of dietitian, even though she doesn't wholeheartedly agree with the field's approach. She demystifies how we can find a dietitian without embracing diet culture and offers a host of resources for reframing our relationship with our bodies. Want to know how growth starts? With asking yourself the right questions. Our free take care assessment asks you 75 questions that get to the root of what you need most right now. After completing the assessment, you'll get a PDF profile with practices based on your results. Head to the link in our show notes to take care today. Jessica, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. So I told you this before we press the record button, but I was genuinely so, so excited when you said yes to being a guest on the podcast. You have a lot of experience as a dietitian, but what's really interesting to me is that you're also reshaping what the field looks like. So what I want to do is rewind a little bit back to the beginning of your career. What initially brought you to this work? So... It wasn't until January that I really put all this together, and I can say why in a bit. But growing up, I was a Black kid in a predominantly white, like, area of Sacramento, which just meant, like, inherently my, like, doctors were were real white or, like, steeped in whiteness. And I was just a large kid. Very tall, very big kid. And that meant, for folks who are familiar that I was trending at the top of the growth charts, like my entire childhood, big kid. But that was a problem for my doctors, which then became one for my mom. I just looked recently back at my medical record and they like took me to like bone specialists to see like that my bones were the age of something, like the age of a something year old, you know, and I was a younger than that year old. Like it was this huge big deal. Endocrinologist like trying to figure out what the problem with my body was. And I 
thought I had remembered that I met with a dietitian as a child. I thought it was eight. I look back at my medical record. I think it was six where they were like giving me nutrition advice. And so I feel in my memory, but I was a child, of course, like I grew up thinking that my body was like a problem to be solved because people were always just telling me it was wrong. And how could that not relate into me wanting to become? And actually, I didn't necessarily want to become a dietitian. Somebody just said you could be a dietitian and study nutrition. And I was like, sure, fine. I I wasn't really called to do like college type things at the time. And that was the part of a story that I had forgotten until this January of 2023 when the American Academy of Pediatrics put out their guidelines for weight in kids, basically putting kids on diets early. And I was like, oh my, (laughs) this is not okay. Like this is how I ended up where I am and where many people end up having eating disorders. So yeah, in January, really put all those pieces together, but I got to like where I am now because all of my schooling was by white folks. I was the only black student throughout all of my clinical rotations. And I was taught about Black people and what Black people eat (laughs) and everything that we as dietitians should be doing to like change how Black people (laughs) eat. I ended up working in athletics at the University of Oregon. And it was just like a completely different world than what I had expected athletics would be. You know, we learned that athletes eat very we'll just say clean for a silly word because they have to be in tip top shape. And like, we were just shoving food at them to try and get them to eat more. It was like, you know, chocolate milk and goldfish and string cheese. It was just like thrown at these athletes to get them to eat more. And I was like, Hmm, I'm already learning and I'm learning some of the things that I've been taught about like what is quote healthy. And then I started working at a student health center and working with students with eating disorders. And most of the students were not thin and had anorexia. And I was like, this is not the calories in, calories out that I have learned. So it's a very long way of being like, that was like the beginning of my unlearning and like how I became a dietitian. I appreciate you taking that us on that journey. Part of it is just, I love hearing anyone talk about their career journey because the tendency for so many of us is to think, you just like follow these steps and you check these boxes and then your career happens and then you hear someone talk about it and you're like, I actually had this core memory unlocked and realized that this thing happened that affected me and that I made the choice to be here. And now I'm just now seeing how it all truly comes together. What's interesting to me is that you clearly, I mean, you talked about it in your schooling and being taught by people who didn't look like you you've got some qualms with the way that the dietitian in the the industry, I guess, works. And also you're continuing to hold that title and continuing to do this work. So it seems like you find some value in this work. Definitely. Typically in my life, I'm not a like make change from the inside situation. Like I just like prefer to dismantle institutions, burn bridges and walk away. But I also really like working with clients with disordered eating, with trans and non-binary clients, which is a lot of the work that I do right now. And you just can't get those jobs if you don't have those 
letters after your name. It's not like I could consult as a dietitian or not. Like I could do consulting, I could do other things, but I can't do clinical work and not be a dietitian. So there is that. We have our membership organization, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and I'm not a member of that. So like those are places that I like choose my battles because the academy is very fat phobic and racist. And so that's where I, you know, say no, thank you. And yes, I will stay in. Yeah. It's a dance that you have to do. And I think it's a dance that all people, especially who holds marginalized and multiple marginalized identities, you've got to pick like, what are your battles? Where do you want to fight? And where do you just say like, okay, I got to deal with it. So you have talked about how you hold the title of dietitian in something that I think is really important that we do on this podcast is that we clarify terms in this age of like social media and the internet where it feels like everyone can just like decide that there's something. It can be really confusing. So can you tell us just like in layperson's term, what exactly is a dietitian? And then to follow that up, how is it similar or different to a nutritionist? Sure. This is a great question. I'm so glad you asked. A lot of people don't. So a dietitian is one who has done an undergrad program that is accredited that, you know, ships people into clinical internships. So dietitians now uh, will have done an undergrad program, a dietetic internship, which is like a year where you have different rotations and like classes that are graduating now will have master's degrees as well. I have a master's in human physiology, but people will need to have a master's of science or an MA, master's of arts, in order to be a dietitian going forward. You can call yourself a nutritionist. So I could just be like, hey, Jessica, guess what? I've decided since I started interviewing you that I'm a nutritionist. One thousand percent. There is no designation. There's no title. There's 1,001, I'm sure, certificates online where you could become like a certified nutritionist. I don't even know what those are. Oh, there's many TikTok, you know, nutritionists, Instagram, influencers who are talking about food as if, you know, they are experts. And this is the part that gets a little fishy for me because, you know, people can be dietitians and still be super fat phobic super unprepared to work with people with disordered eating or unprepared to work with people of color. So I think it goes like in the same vein of like doctors. I'm not going to see someone who calls themselves a doctor when in fact they are not. But because someone is a doctor, it doesn't mean that they're either competent to work with everyone or not going to cause harm. Yeah. It's good for us to be mindful that a nutritionist doesn't mean that you've gone through the same level of training that a dietitian has. And it's also important for us, especially in a situation like this, where the status quo has caused so much harm to lots of people who don't fit the quote unquote norm, not to give too much value to the title and assume that they will automatically be able to help you and your specific situation just because they've been through training. Yes. I would say that nutritionists or people who have not gone through clinical programs are far easier to get caught up in fad diets like intermittent fasting or, you know, recommend a bunch of like food allergy assessments and intolerances and just really not have the 
context and perhaps the experience to know that, you know, these fads come and go. There might be a study or a few studies on something. It doesn't mean that over time that they've been able to clinically analyze the studies that are touted as expertise. So being able to look and see if there are Black people, if there are marginalized people in the study sample. Did they have access to food? Were they inherently privileged? Like all of these things, rather than just looking at a study out of Sweden and being like, well, (laughs) there's a study that makes it true. So I think those are some differences too with the registration of a dietitian versus a nutritionist. Thank you for clarifying that. I remember when I first learned that and I was like, oh, There is a difference here. And I know, at least in Illinois, like a lot of dietitians will call themselves dietitian nutritionist, which in some ways is helpful, but then in some ways is confusing because then you hear nutritionist and you're like, well, that's half of what this person said when who went through the master's program. So clarifying terms, super important. No, it's good. The registration now is an RDN because I think the academy wanted to like capitalize and like the say they're registered nutritionists and kind of get some clarification in there, but 1000% exactly what you said. Like, it's still not clear who is what. (laughs) I just wanted to validate that. So now that we're clear on that distinction, based on your experience, when do you think it's useful for someone to seek out a dietitian? This is going to depend so much on both what the person wants and who the dietitian is. I can tell you, we'll just stick to my experience with the beginning of like who would not be a good fit for me. I don't typically work with people who are seeking intentional weight loss for just like the appearance sake. I do understand that there are times when intentional weight loss may be a requirement, say, for gender-affirming surgeries and understanding the complexities there. But if somebody were in, I've had so many people be like, I gained five to 10 pounds and, you know, the pandemic, I want to lose it. And I'm just like, I'm just not your girl for that. Like, I am not at all concerned about five to 10 pounds or even, you know, like the 10 to 20. So those folks are not... A lot of people are fine, but because of the culture that we're swimming in, because of everybody who was worried about their pandemic weight gain, like think they're not fine and are stressed out by like any weight fluctuations, especially like weight gain. So a lot of my job is actually like affirming that there's nothing wrong with people. And so that's, you know, oftentimes just a one time appointment. People will come in, say, with a bunch of messages like about the types of foods that they eat or their cultural foods. And I, you know, it's like a one and done. I'm like, you're doing a great job at adulting. Like (laughs) go forth and keep doing what you're doing. But I tend to work long-term with people who have a history of body shame, which has impacted their eating habits or like grown up as I did. I have a lot of people who have disordered eating, folks who have ADHD and autism or autism who are really looking at like how to, prioritize food, structure food, like what types of reminders (laughs) do I need to set in order to make food? Those type of things where I will follow people. And people oftentimes who are depressed or coming out of stressful situations and their appetite is lost. And then of course there are clinical considerations. So diabetes, high cholesterol, hypertension, and those things like that are often good fits for dietitians. And then everybody will 
be able to find a dietitian that will likely, you know, either help them lose weight or do whatever it is that they're looking for. But I can only speak to, you know, why I think people could go or might benefit from a dietitian. I'm so glad that you cued that up because something that I've been really holding. So I can't remember the last time I've weighed myself. I think we have a scale somewhere. I think it's out of batteries. My husband told me the other day, like, oh, there's, it's out of batteries. I'm like, oh, I would not know. When I go to the doctor's office, I always ask, like, can I stand backwards? I just really don't want to see it. It's not healthy for me. I can get really obsessive about things. And also, I mentioned this before we started recording. I got diagnosed with ADHD shortly before I turned 30. And I'm realizing like, oh, there are ways that I'm just struggling to like make sure that I fuel myself. So I've considered maybe I should work with a dietitian. And I'm kind of terrified too, because my perception of dietitians is so steeped in diet culture. And that's part of why I was excited to talk with you is because you're someone who is continuing to hold this designation and also be critical of diet culture itself. And so I guess the question in the midst of me kind of sharing my personal experience is what can we be looking for in a dietitian? Thankfully, I have a partner who, when he works from home, is like, Taylor, did you feed yourself today? Or this morning, he like made me breakfast. So he would know that I ate breakfast. But if he's at work and all of a sudden it's like 4 p.m. and I haven't eaten, that's not healthy and not helpful for me. And that is something that it sounds like a dietitian would be really qualified to help me with. And also, I want to find someone who's going to not make me spiral in other ways that could be harmful. Like calorie counting for me, I can get so obsessive. It is not good for me. Yeah, I should have said that earlier. You're right. Somebody who's going to tell you to count calories, you can like immediately fire them. That's a like super red flag. But I, you know, asked, I saw your question that you had sent me initially. And then so went and asked somebody with ADHD. I actually went and asked Lexi, who's the through line of my book and tends to stay with us off and on, depending on clinical rotations. I asked her what she would recommend or like what she would be looking for, for somebody to help her with her ADHD and eating. And immediately she answered not a thin white woman. I don't know if that will resonate. I don't know who's listening to your podcast, but for her, that was like an immediate cue for somebody who would, you know, be able to see her and her complexities and not do a calories counting who would understand more the complexities of, you know, like food and body stuff. So I was like, that's real specific. And thank you for that. There are some specifically targeted folks who do what I think to be like a very well-rounded and empathetic, and I don't want to label it like good or bad, but really just like a good job for neurodivergent folks. And then there are some who just like label themselves as such because it's the new thing that people are getting an understanding about themselves now. So that said, in addition to what Lexi said, I would say you're right on the calorie counting. Anyone who was going to bring out like food models or like give you the my plate nutrition thing, <laughs> anybody who's giving you handouts, like I'm just not really a fan of the handouts because every person is very different. Anybody who's going to tell you to look at your weight, absolutely run the other way. 
any other like self-assessment in those type of ways. For folks with ADHD, I would never say to like have you write things down, especially of what you're eating in order to like pay attention to it. Because one, that's another easy way to obsess. And two, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> and that goes for me for sure as well as somebody with epilepsy and who has some ADHD tendencies for sure. Those are things that if I were asking, you know, a dietitian, like, what do you believe? How do you practice? What do you recommend to somebody who's neurodivergent? Those would be some things that I'd be listening for. That's really helpful. The calorie counting sounds like for both of us, hard no, but there's a lot of things that could be specific to the ADHD and neurodivergent experience. I'm wondering if there's anything more broadly that's just like 100% red flag. Like calorie counting isn't just an ADHD thing, just in general. That is, and this is as someone who like grew up doing ballet and was around people with very disordered eating. That is not the way to go. Anything else that for you is like hard red flag. Yeah. Having somebody that wants you to weigh yourself or keeping track or logging things. I just am not a fan of for folks who say don't have like a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. In some of those cases, people will be required to like record what they're eating. But for folks who are, you know, just looking to figure out and like listen to their body about are they eating enough? Because there are signs without having to write it down. I would say are some, you know, things to listen for. Anything that's going to make you more like vigilant or anxious about your food I would say it's just not the way to go. Also, if somebody is going to like push a variety of foods to folks who are neurodivergent and like ask you to, you know, like try all foods and like feel guilty for repeating foods over and over again, I would just, you know, kind of listen for those type of things too. Yeah. <laughs> I am in the midst of a, a food obsession right now, even though I ended up throwing half of it away. So I think it's on the the end of it, but it has been like a month long. That's a whole other story, but I definitely am a food repeater. I am married to someone who does not love to repeat food too often. So that does add a little bit of variety, at least in what we're eating when we're sharing a meal. Okay. So this is really helpful. Now, the last piece that I want to get into is the fact that Working with a dietitian, it costs money, even if you have insurance, depending on what type of insurance you have, you're likely still having to pay out of pocket. So for people who are realizing that there's room for them to shift their relationship to food, or they're looking for some support in how they're able to nourish themselves, but they just can't quite swing working with a dietitian, what would you recommend for those folks? We all have 24 hours in the day, but depending on your schedule, your responsibilities, and your finances, it doesn't always feel like that. We built the Inner Workout app to help you practice self-care with the time you have. It's filled with journaling practices, meditations, and mini courses called Journeys that you can complete in 10 minutes or less. But that's not all. Find more time for self-care with lock sessions, which go beyond notification blocking and allow you to lock yourself out of apps that steal your time and attention. Visit innerworkout.co slash app or click the link in the show notes to add the Inner Workout app to your support system. 
There's a lot of great books out there, depending on how academic one wants to be. The more academic ones are Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Dr. Sabrina Strings is a very academic very dense but very helpful read I have found for a lot of clients. The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor is a good one. Belly of the Beast by Deshaun Harrison. For folks who are, you know, into memoirs, Kiesi Lehman's Heavy has a really deep dive into all of the ways that, you know, society shows up on our bodies and like the choices that we make in order to be less of a threat if you know for him as a black man and sometimes people just resonate with those stories oh you know what and people who are looking for just like a general fun read i had a client read very fat very brave by nicole buyer and that just completely changed her life she was coming to me with a lot of distress and you know every time i was like you're fine you're doing great like yes you've gained weight this that or the other but really like you're you're golden and having read this book by nicole buyer it's like nicole buyer in 100 and plus bikinis all over la doing very ironic things that are you know hashtag very brave for a fat black woman But reading this and just seeing a fat person living her best life was really all my client needed to be like, okay, you know, all of these body positive influencers are doing these like dramatic photo shoots and these outfits. And Nicole was out there in a bathing suit, you know, on the side of a highway having a great time. So it's all over the place. There are some great Instagrams out there. Of course, you know, I'll recommend mine, but RDs for Neurodiversity is one that I like. Whitney Trotter has one. Alicia McCulloch has one. Whitney Trotter actually in her bio link has a BIPOC list of providers who work with eating disorders. So, and most of them have social media. I would check those out. So those are some books. And for folks who are looking to watch something similar to Nicole Byer's book, Michelle Buteau has survival of the thickest out on Netflix right now. So there's a wide range from academic to very accessible, you know, resources for people out there. And then I, you know, there's a lot of communities that I find to be helpful in the Bay Area and some on the East Coast. You know, there's, you know, fat positive book clubs or groups or things like that for people who are just wanting to have more conversations about body stuff and body policing. There's a lot of options. And there's one option that you didn't mention, which is your book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? You're being so humble. I'm the worst at self-promotion. Thank you. I wrote a book. It just came out in February called It's Always Been Hours, Rewriting the Story of Black Women's Bodies. Yes. And I take readers through, again, Lexi from that book has an eating disorder. And it's kind of the thread that, you know, takes us through conversations about who like body positivity is for. It's not for black women. It's really for, you know, thin white women. How do we look at that when we don't, you know, fit those privileged identities and just like being more critical of these things. And I have found people, even folks who aren't black women, but who have experienced some body shame in one frame or another to really resonate and like put those pieces together. So totally recommend. Also mine is, I would say in the middle, I definitely laugh. (laughs) Some people cry, but yeah, I think it's a very accessible read. You know what? I also just started a podcast (laughs) and before every, you know, 
like denser or more interview piece, I always have like a dietitian note, whether it is like debunking something or taking a look at how nutrition is portrayed in the media. So that can be interesting or helpful for folks as well. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. This is, we'll make sure that this is all included in the show notes because you just gave us like a bunch of amazing resources. And I also want to say thank you for providing a range of like, if you want to get really into the academic and the research, you can do this. If you want to watch a TV show on Netflix, you can do that or put a podcast on in the background. It's nice to have options. So the last question I have for you I'm so curious what your answer is because I'm I'm asking you to narrow down to one myth. So if there is one myth that you could bust for everyone, and it could be about dietitians or about diet culture or about health, what is the myth that you would like to correct? The first one's easy. Kind of counts, doesn't count. Dietitians don't care what you're eating in the break room. So when the dietitian walks in, don't feel like you need to hide your white rice or your noodles or donut or whatever it is. That um, that one's real brief. It's the worst when people feel like we're the food police. And really, I promise we don't care. Okay. But the other thing about health would be that we should, you know, always be striving for health or that health is like a moral imperative when health as it exists now under, you know, medical apartheid, capitalism and white supremacy is really just a social construct that we don't think about it in like that vein. We think it exists and looks a certain way, but health is richer, is white, is thin and all these things like that don't actually exist as like a state of being. Some people will define health as like an absence of all disease But, you know, I'll point to, you know, so many of us with chronic disease or disability. So that makes like all of us inherently unhealthy if the absence of disease is defined as health. And it's just like this messy web that we see eugenics has played a huge role in defining who is healthy. We've seen that Black enslaved women are responsible for so much of what we know about gynecology. So health as it exists is a social construct and what's going on with your body is really what matters even if medicine disagrees. Yeah, that's such a powerful reminder. There's it's a recurring theme in everything that we talk about at Inner Workout is coming back to like you in your self expertise. And it's great to have other people like you who have gone to school and done a lot of research and have a lot of experience. And also that work that partnering with experts should be in service of what you know about yourself and not overriding it. And it's so easy for us to forget that. We we have an episode this season where we're talking about like medical gaslighting and how real that can be, especially when you hold marginalized identities and can be intimidated going into those situations. So thank you for giving us that reminder. Well, where can people stay in touch with you? You've already mentioned your podcast. My podcast is Making It Awkward, uh, called Making It Awkward. You can find it on any and all podcast platforms, including YouTube. And you can follow me on Instagram at jessicawilson.msrd. 
you can follow my attempts at TikTok at <laughs> by Jessica Wilson. It's going. I'm getting it. And then you can buy my book, of course. It's always been ours. And I just opened my clinical practice. So if folks after this are interested in working with a dietitian, I am seeing folks currently in California virtually. So anywhere in California due to dietitian licensure. And I'm working on getting licensure in New York. So if folks are interested, you can stay in touch that way as well. Okay. So all the Californians, you can work with Jessica and everyone else. We've got a lot of places where we can stay in touch. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for all the excellent questions. Inner Warm Up is a collaborative effort. It's hosted by me, Taylor Elise Morrison. Danielle Spaulding provides production support, and it's edited by Carolina Duque. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. And if you're looking to continue your inner work, our free take care assessment is a great place to start. On that note, take care. <laughs>